Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. This morning we're beginning our series on Ephesians, and uh, I'm very excited about it. I know a couple of us have already expressed our excitement about it. Well, I'm excited too. And I briefly wanted to talk about what makes this series different. We've done a couple series to this point in our short history as a church. We started with a series on the kingdom of God. Then we did a brief series on our motto, Following Jesus Together. And then we just finished a series called True Faith, where we explored the idea of faith, especially in and through adversity. And so each series that we've done to this point has been what's called a topical series, where you take a topic and you sort of go through the Bible and you trace the topic as we go through. And uh, when you do a book of the Bible, like we're doing with the book of Ephesians, it's called an expository series, and it's different. Uh, There are are benefits to both sides, and one of the unique benefits of the expository approach is that we will not be skipping any verses in the book of Ephesians. And there may be verses that challenge me or make me uncomfortable, and there may be verses that challenge you and make you uncomfortable, and guess what? We're reading all of them, (laughs) so we're all going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) So during this process of reading through Ephesians, one of my goals is that we should consider afresh our view of this book and the views of the doctrines that are talked about in this book. Um, And our aim, as it always should be, whenever we read the Bible, is to get as much as possible back to the original intent of the author, God, who wrote through Paul and the original recipients of that text, which would have been people in Ephesus and the surrounding areas in the first century. And I understand that's a difficult task. You know, you're talking about 2,000 years in time, almost, and half the way around the world in space. And so there's some difficulty with that. But to that end, we're going to be using uh, resources like the Bible Project, and I love our, our, uh, our uh, sermon cover art here, which is in part modeled off of the Bible Project's cover art for the Scroll of Ephesians. And uh, so we'll be using things like the Bible Project and other commentaries to help us understand better the book of Ephesians. So th- the idea with using the Bible Project and other resources like that uh, is to help us challenge our current views of Ephesians. And so some of the things that I say may sound unfamiliar and it may uh, sound new. And uh, that's good. That's the best way for us to grow. I'm getting some rattling. Do you guys hear it too? Yeah. Can you turn me down a little bit? Or I can turn myself down a little bit too. I don't know what happened with it. I can also pull myself down a little bit. Is that better? Check, check. No? Now it's back. Yeah. I can switch to the wireless. All right, we'll switch to this. Is this better? All right. So anyway, I was saying that using things like the Bible Project will help us experience Paul in a new way. Now, some of us um, may be new to the Bible or newer to the Bible, and so there's difficulty in reading Paul's words because you're reading for the first or second or third time, and so there really are unfamiliar ideas and concepts. Um, and so that will be, this will be helpful for you because you'll learn how to process and go through some of those things. But some of us have been reading the Bible for a very long time and especially been reading Ephesians for a very long time. 
And so we're so familiar with the words that uh, we have a hard time hearing anything but what we already know about Ephesians, what we've already learned about Ephesians. So we read the words, and as we read them, we can't help but read our own taught understanding or received understanding of these words. And so uh, we have to trick our brains into hearing these words freshly. As Tim Mackey, the Bible Project, did a class on Ephesians, which I'll be pulling extensively from for the series. And as he says in his class, I have to credit John Ely for giving me the actual quote here. He said, quote, his words have become, become so overfamiliar that one of the most difficult things to do is to let them become strange and new again, end quote. And so, so much of what we're going to be doing in this series is exactly that. Uh, studying the book of Ephesians in a fresh perspective to help us more deeply understand and live the principles found in Ephesians. Uh, another key thing that we're going to be doing is letting the Bible reframe our thinking and not vice versa. I've been reading a book on expository preaching called Biblical Preaching, uh, written by a, a man named Haddon Robinson. And he says, quote, In approaching a passage, we must be willing to reexamine our doctrinal convictions and to reject the judgments of our most respected teachers. We must make a U-turn in our previous understanding of the Bible should these conflict with the concepts of the biblical writer, end quote. And this is something we should be doing in our everyday reading of the Bible. This is not something that's just for an expository series, but I thought it was helpful in that as well. Now, when we consider that task of, of letting the Bible shape our theology and not our theology shape our Bible, uh, it doesn't matter what the teacher says. I'm not here to give you sound doctrine and then you just agree with it. And in fact, a couple pages later, uh, Haddon Robinson says, quote, expositors may be respected for their exegetical abilities and their diligent preparation. Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, but these qualities do not transform any of them into a Protestant pope who speaks ex cathedra. Listeners also have a responsibility to match the sermon to the biblical text, end quote. So I have a responsibility, and the other teachers who will be teaching during this series have a responsibility to the best that they can to actually pull from the text and explain what it means instead of reading a text and then saying whatever we want to say about the text, right? But even if you respect us, and I hope you respect me and the other teachers who will be teaching, you still have a responsibility. And it's the same responsibility that you have when you read your Bibles, and that is to, to check everything that you are listening uh, to the actual text itself. Now, another way to think about this is to think about uh, layers in an archaeological dig. So as you dig through the rock layers, you find more and more about uh, the rock layers, the type of plant animal life that used to live there. And so I think that there are basically four layers that we are going to be digging through on this quest. And again, this is the same as when we read our Bibles all the time. The first layer is uh, what it meant to them in their culture and their time. So the original recipients of Ephesians, who were they? What, what would this have, letter have meant to them? We have to think about language. The book of Ephesians, for example, was written in Greek. Uh, we have to think about the biblical background and the biblical worldview. So what ideas were in Paul's mind as God was working with his, uh, him through the Spirit? What kind of stories and narratives did Paul know and were familiar to Paul that he then unveiled and, and used uh, through the book of Ephesians and other books? We can think about culture and idioms, the way that people spoke. We can also think about the historical background. What was Ephesus like as a city? Uh, what kinds of things can we learn about uh, the time that Paul was going through? Things like that. 
So once we understand the first layer we dig through is what it meant to them in their culture and their time, then we think about, well, how would they have applied the message? What was, what was the thing that they would have done in response to receiving this letter? And so then, once we've resolved those two questions, we can go to the question of us. What does it mean for us today? How we can understand the message and then how we can apply the message. So the book of Ephesians, you may have heard this term before, it's called an epistle, an epistle. And an epistle just means it's an ancient letter. And interestingly enough, as Gordon Fee points out in his book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, there are six common attributes of ancient letters. And it turns out Ephesians checks all the boxes. So it does fit the criteria for a letter. Uh, the first one is the name of the writer, which is Paul. That's Ephesians 1.1. The name of the recipient, which we're going to find out is uh, the saints and the faithful who are at Ephesus. It's a little bit broader than that, actually. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Ephesians 1.1 as well. Then there's a greeting, which is found in Ephesians 1.2. Then there's a prayer, wish, or thanksgiving, which is found in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 14. Uh, we're going to continue talking about that section uh, in future sermons. We're actually going to split it in three sermons, that 3 through 14. But it's actually one sentence in Greek. It's one really long sentence in Greek. And so we're going to split one sentence into three different sermons. So there you go. Uh, and then the body is from Ephesians 1.15 through the rest of the book till verse six, chapter 6, verse 20. Then there's a final greeting and farewell, which is the last four verses of the book. So Ephesians, again, fits all six criteria. It is an ancient letter. It is an epistle. And so when we understand that, we have to understand that when we read Ephesians, we are literally reading someone's mail from 2,000 years ago. And that's difficult. That's not an easy thing to do, to read someone's mail. Uh, and I actually have a story about uh, misunderstood mail. Um, my wife and I had just been married for about, I don't know, six months or so when we were in our first apartment. And I was attending Ohio State. She was attending Ohio State. So we were both Buckeyes. And she comes to me to my desk, which was actually, since we had a small apartment, was in our living room at the time. And uh, she said, hey, Will, do you have a pencil? And I said, sure, you know, go into this drawer and you'll find a pencil. So she starts going through the drawer and she pulls this out. And it's a University of Michigan navy blue pencil with gold lettering. Now, for those of you that don't understand, we have some laughs in the audience, so I know that some people get it immediately. Uh, but um, for the locals, it'd be like if you were a U of L family and going into your husband's, you know, uh, desk drawer and finding a University of Kentucky pencil. And so uh, she looks at me. She has this pencil in her hand. She says, "What the heck is this?" And I told her the truth. And the truth sounds strange, and I'm going to explain to you what the truth was. I said, <laughs> I got the sheepish look on my face, and I said, well, you have to understand I'm in this longitudinal study, and every couple of years, uh, the University of Michigan sends me this packet, and in the packet, it has a check for $20, it has a University of Michigan pencil for me to fill out the survey, and it has the actual survey. It's called Monitoring the Future. I've been doing it since high school, and they sent, like I said, they send it to me every couple of years or so. She looked at me like I was crazy, and... Look, if you're going to lie, you've got to come up with a lie as extravagant and as detailed as the one I came up with. But she thought I was lying. She really did. She thought I was just trolling her with this University of Michigan pencil. So about a year and a half or so later, we were living in Atlanta. And lo and behold, in the mail, one day came this packet. And on the side of the packet, it said, Monitoring the Future, University of Michigan. So I showed her. I said, hey, here's the packet. Let's open it up. Let's see what's in it. I opened the packet. Guess what was in it? A check for 20 bucks, a survey, and a brand new University of Michigan pencil. <laughs> 
So as strange as this was for my wife that I would own a University of Michigan pencil, I did. And I did because I don't believe in throwing away pencils just because it's uh, a team I don't root for or something. (laughs) So anyway, that's how weird receiving someone else's mail can be, right? Is you don't have the context. You don't have the story behind it. And sometimes the story is pretty straightforward. I'm sure if we looked at all of your mail, we'd find a lot of the same things. Ads for different things, coupons for different things, right? We receive a lot of the same mail. But sometimes we receive something that's unique and personal to us, right? And there's a lot of context and flavor behind that. And there's a relationship behind that. And that's more what the book of Ephesians is like. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18. I want to talk about, before we get into the book of Ephesians itself, let's consider a little bit of the background of how the church in Ephesus was founded. And so uh, here in Acts chapter 18, we're looking at uh, what, what was the end of Paul's second missionary trip. Uh, We don't know exactly when this happened in history, but most scholars peg this right around somewhere in 52 AD. So um, you're talking about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion. Uh, 20 years, sorry, after Christ's crucifixion. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila were a couple, um, and they traveled briefly with Paul. They worked alongside Paul. At Sencre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. So he drops off Priscilla and Aquila, and he says, you guys, you hang out here. And they say, well, you know, a lot of people in the synagogue are like, Paul, we want you to stay. He's like, nope, not staying. He leaves. He leaves them behind. So when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and there went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So while Paul had left Ephesus, there was another man doing work there, and that was Apollos. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Talk about a description. I'd, I'd love that description. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus, or that Jesus was Lord, Jesus was the Messiah. So here we have Apollos. Apollos strengthens the believers there. He's teaching things, and he needs a couple things that need tuning up a little bit. And so he's humble enough to receive that from uh, Aquila and Priscilla. So this is all while Paul's not in Ephesus. So the church is growing. The church is developing. Again, this is about 52 AD. Uh, And let's consider now the the map. I want to show you the map a little bit about what happened with what Paul was doing. So, So here we have Ephesus sort of in the middle of the map. And then what Paul does after he leaves Ephesus, he doesn't just go a short distance away. He, he sails like halfway across the Mediterranean back to Caesarea and then goes to Jerusalem then ends up back in Antioch. So Paul, Paul didn't just leave Ephesus. He left Ephesus and went a long ways away. So now let's keep reading because um, 
Apollos, Apollos goes to Corinth, as we heard at the end of uh, Acts 18, and it's going to specify that here at the beginning of 19. So let's keep reading here in Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So he went back through all these different churches that he had planted, and he comes to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, so people that had already received some of the truth. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So you had 12 disciples, people had heard a lot about the, uh, about the gospel, and they had been faithful to do the things that they knew to do to the point where the Bible describes them as disciples, yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, at least uh, into manifestation. And so then you find uh, Paul instructs them, they get baptized, and then they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now the tongues part isn't terribly unique because it happens on several other occasions. It happened on Pentecost, it happened with Cornelius. This is the third time it's mentioned specifically happening when someone gets uh, this kind of a, a situation. But the prophesying piece is interesting, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, how prophecy is a more mature gift. And so the idea that they would have received prophecy immediately shows that that word disciple is a true description of them. They already had a lot of spiritual depth. And so they began prophesying immediately. So that is, I think, the unique thing, one of the unique things here. There's, there's some interesting things here that I, I don't really have time to touch on, but, uh, but suffice to say, these were uh, strong uh, disciples. These were strong people, strong men. And then what happens the next is really interesting, really powerful. Verse 8, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, again, as we talked about in our series uh, some months back, is the, one of the major themes throughout the whole Bible. God's plan for how he's going to redeem the whole world through, eventually we find out, through a king named Jesus. Verse 9, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here Paul spends two plus years in Ephesus, a place that he just sort of passed by on his first way through, dropping off a couple people and just saying, hey, if, if the Lord wants me to come back, I'll come back. He comes back, he spends uh, about two and a half years with them. And through this, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And we're going to see a map of Asia later, but it's not Asia like we think about Asia. It's a much smaller area, but still it included many significant cities. And so, you know, thousands and thousands, if not millions of people heard the gospel because of Paul and his ministry in Asia during this period of time. So I want to show a map of the third missionary journey now. So again, we have him going from Antioch through some of the churches that he founded, and he ends up in Ephesus. He stays there for a long time. Then he goes back through a lot of the other churches that he planted. Then he winds his way back, and you find that he doesn't actually go back through Ephesus on his way back. Because if you recall, those of you that are more familiar with the book of Acts, his third missionary journey ends with him going to Jerusalem and being imprisoned. And so when he goes by Ephesus, he says, I'll meet you. He sends him a letter and he says, I'll meet you in Miletus, which is 
down the coast a little bit was easier for him to get in and out of. And um, so they have this, this tearful goodbye with Paul, the elders of Ephesus. So this church had been built up. Um, it had had elders ordained. It was a fully functioning church. Um, and so then, like I said, this trip, this third missionary journey ends in Jerusalem. Paul gets put in prison. He eventually gets sent to Rome. And it's likely that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians around 62 AD while he's in captivity in Rome. So that places it 10 years now after that church was started. So if you think about that, you have a church that was founded by people not Paul. It was Priscilla and Aquila, and then Paulus helped. Then Paul comes back. He greatly strengthens it and builds it and builds it and builds it and builds it. Then he leaves, and about five years later, after, after that um, last trip of him being with them for years and years and years, from about 53 to about 56 AD, about five years, six years later, he's writing this letter to them from prison a church that he cared deeply about. So, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll get into it a little bit. We're not going to get very far into it today. We're going to save uh, the, the meatier parts of the beginning here for next week. But we'll start with the first couple of verses here. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple comments here. The, the words in Ephesus are not found in some of the earliest manuscripts and the most important manuscripts. Uh, they are found in the majority of manuscripts, though. Most of the scholars that I've read on that particular issue say basically the same thing, that likely... Um, this letter was written to the whole region of Asia. And so Ephesus was the primary city, was the biggest church in Asia, and that, and that it would have been a, a cyclical, what they call a cyclical epistle, where they send it around to all the different places. And so that's why some manuscripts don't have in Ephesus. They would have scribbled out Ephesus. They would have put another, when they passed it on to another town, they would have put the other town's name. And if we look at the map of Asia here, you have Ephesus, you have Miletus, which I talked about earlier, but Around there, you've got Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Some of those might sound familiar to those of you who know your Bible really well. Those are some of the churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, still being fully functional, uh, thriving churches by the time of the book of Revelation, which was roughly uh, 30 to 40 years after Ephesians was written. So the idea is that this area of Asia, this whole area of Asia, that's where this letter was written to, just like Galatia was a region right next door, and that's where the book of Galatians was written to. It was written to a whole region instead of a specific city. But Ephesians was the dominant church. The Ephesian city, uh, the, the church in Ephesus was the dominant church. So this was a happening place. Everyone had heard, you know, we, we heard Paul was there for two years. All of Asia had heard the gospel. So there were lots of Christians, lots of churches. When we look at this opening, the opening here is pretty standard for Paul's letters. Uh, but th what's interesting about this is that the, the saints, the holy ones, the people of God, are mentioned in basically all of Paul's openings. But this is the only one that mentions the faithful. And again, when you look at how the, the, the church was founded and how he went back through and how he met with the elders on his way back through the third time, um, you can see that he didn't feel the same need 
to uh, address specific doctrinal or practical issues with them. And the book of Ephesians is, in, in fact, marked by the lack of reproof and the lack of correction. This was a thriving church. Um, and so that's why so much of what we can read in Ephesians is like the way the church is meant to be. Um, because there wasn't a lot going on that was bad. Um, so this, this letter stands out for its positive tone and the fact that he references the faithful here. Another thing that I would like to point out here in the first verse is it says the faithful in Christ Jesus. And many of us are familiar with the term Christ. The term Christ is just the word for Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. And an anointed one in the Old Testament could be a priest. A priest were anointed. It could be a prophet. Prophets were anointed. It could be a king. Kings were anointed. And Jesus is all three of those things. He is the prophet, the prophet like Moses. He is the high priest, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is the king, the Davidic king that God promised. And so if we wanted to sort of strangeify this book of Ephesians, we'd say those who are faithful in the priestly prophetic king Jesus. Or you could just shorten that to King Jesus the faithful in King Jesus. So whenever we read this, in fact, I think N.T. Wright's uh, translation does this. He translates it as King Jesus. Because, again, that's strange. That's unfamiliar. Helps break us out of this rut that we're in when we read the Bible, right? So those are some things from the first couple of verses. I want to talk about themes to close out this morning. There are four main themes we're going to be talking about in the book of Ephesians. The first one is probably the most important one. And that is that Ephesians is community-oriented and it's not individualistic. Uh, Very specifically, and Tim Mackey talks about this in his class, every you, when we read the uh, English word you in the entire book of Ephesians, it should be translated y'all. Now, Tim Mackey says this. He's from Portland, Oregon, okay? He's never lived in the South, never been in the South, really. And he uses the word y'all in his translation of the book of Ephesians. Uh, So... I'm, we're going to be doing that as well. We'll read the yous. I'll try to remember to read the yous as y'alls. And also, we're going to notice the we versus you language throughout the letter. And frequently, we is going to refer to Jews, those who have uh, the Judean background. And the you language is going to be Gentiles, those outside the original covenant, outside the original promises. But when we think about community orientation, um, you know, I think we can think about... Uh, Again, the multiple language from Ephesians 1.3. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So from the very beginning of the letter, he uses plural language. And he's going to carry that throughout the whole, the whole letter. And so when we read this, we tend to read us ourselves as individuals in the midst of a plural. So like when we think about us, we think about, well, I'm going to do my part you know, and who, who knows if everyone else is going to do their part or not, right? We view things very individualistically. But in the book of Ephesians, and I would say even the rest of Paul's epistles, that, that culture was not in that mindset. That was not the way that they looked at the world. And in fact, in modern times, we, could, we would do well to look at nations like Japan, who have a much more community-oriented mindset. And so as we're going to see, you know, early on, even next week, the way to resolve this issue of being foreordained and God picking and those and choosing and those types of things is to understand that God didn't pick me. He didn't pick, you know, you he, individually. He picked Abraham. A nation came from Abraham, and then he picked Jesus, and a nation comes from Jesus. 
So when we are attached in, when we are citizens of that, when we're citizens of that new country, that kingdom of God, then we get all those benefits. Then we get all the, the promises and the blessings. So we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians probably completely differently than we've been, than we're typically framed to do that because we're so used to in our modern Western American culture to read this individualistically. And that's just not uh, the way that it was meant to be written and read. The second thing that we're going to talk about is new creation and new order in the things of Jesus. Um, one of the big themes in the book of Ephesians is apocalypse. And I know uh, when we think of apocalypse, we probably think of like zombie movies or something like that, right? Uh, but apocalypse is just the Greek word for revelation. And it means to see the truth clearly for things to be unveiled. And um, so what happened to Paul? Paul uh, was once the biggest opponent of the faith. And then on the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus, right? He has this vision of Jesus. He goes blind, and then he, you know, Ananias helps him get restored. But what, in Paul's mind, what happened is he had an apocalypse, he had a revelation, and Jesus appeared to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, everything about his life changed. Everything about his life changed. And so when we read in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 17, that Paul prayed for the Ephesians to experience the apocalypse, revelation, he wants them to meet Jesus too. He wants them to have the same experience that he had on the road to Damascus. And in Ephesians 3, when he says that the mystery was made known to Paul and the other apostles by apocalypse, by revelation through the Spirit, he's saying this truth is now being communicated to you through these teachers. This truth of who Jesus is and what that means for our world is being communicated in a different new way. And so Paul wants us, as we read the book of Ephesians, as they read the book of Ephesians, to experience the same thing that he did on the road to Damascus. So this should be strange to us. We should see a bright light. We should, we should see Jesus, and that should change us. So we're going to see uh, new creation, new order, the kingdom of God. We're going to see all these things brought to bear in new and fresh ways through the book of Ephesians. The third thing we're going to see is unity in Christ. Now, the main one that gets used, especially in the beginning of the book, is Jew and Gentile. In fact, chapter 2 is all about Jew and Gentile being reconciled together. And uh, unity also between heaven and earth, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Ephesians 2, verses 17 and 18, here's one example of that language. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, you, Gentiles who are far off, and peace to those who are near us, the Jews, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So here he, he's saying that this way that Jesus has changed the world fundamentally has flipped the world upside down. Part of the implication of that is that we have these two people groups, Jew and Gentile, that can now be together. It's interesting that it's such a short book, six chapters long, but the word for one occurs 29 times in the book of Ephesians. That's how much unity is important to this book. And one word for unity, henotes, is used only in Ephesians. It's used twice in the New Testament, both times in Ephesians. So unity is a big theme in the book of Ephesians. And, of course, you've got the notable spot in chapter 4 where it lists off a bunch of ones. You know, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God. The final thing, the final theme that we're going to see over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians is the, the division. So we want unity. We see how God has provided for unity amongst all peoples around the world. Jew and Gentile, anyone can now hear the gospel and come and experience this apocalypse, this revelation, seeing the truth clearly. They can come into the kingdom of God. And so now, when that doesn't happen, if you don't have unity, then what do you have? You have division. You have division. So now, what causes that division? And in Paul's mind, it's a battle with what he calls the powers. Sometimes he calls them the powers of the world. Sometimes he calls them the powers of the air, spiritual wickedness. There's a lot of different words that get used for that. But we tend to think of that as simply the demonic. Many of us view that as like simply the demonic. That's the, the, the mindset that we've got. And I'm not saying that it's not the demonic. That's part of it. But we're going to see that Paul's view of the powers is bigger than just the demonic. It's bigger than that. Uh, two two passages we can look at real quick here. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind." So you, y'all, the Gentiles once walked this way. We, verse 3, we also, Jews, did this too. You see that? And you see what causes this is the, the prince of the power of the air, the powers. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And for Paul... This could be manifested in a lot of different ways. It could, like I said, it could be the demonic, but it could be uh, bad kings. It could be people worshiping the sun, moon, and stars. It could be a lot of different things. There's a lot of different manifestations of the powers. And I just want to point out that Paul's emphasis on the powers makes sense because if we think about Ephesus, the city where this was sent to, there was a wonder of the ancient world that was in Ephesus. And it was a pagan temple. It was the temple to Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. So you think about the context, the historical context of the city. It was a stronghold for a pagan goddess. And in fact, that's what gets Paul, we didn't read the rest of chapter 19, but what gets Paul kicked out of Ephesus is eventually the fact that the spirit of God is turning that city upside down and it's affecting the economy. I tell you what, you know when the gospel is spreading, when the economy gets affected, and so you get kicked out by the bankers and the tradespeople and stuff like that, and that's what happened to Paul in Acts 19. The gospel was being so successful that people were not buying these silver idols of uh, Artemis anymore. And uh, another thing that's remarkable is the Library of Celsus. And the Library of Celsus is right here, and it still is, you can see at least the facade of it still today. And this... It's what forms the backdrop for our cover art. So this was a place of education and learning, too. And uh, that's where we get the background for our cover art, is the Library of Celsus. So in thinking about the book of Ephesians, like I said, the big thing that I want to, to draw out this morning and encourage you this morning is that when we read the Bible, we should try to read it fresh and see something new. Not to see something new, not to invent new things, to get out of the rut of how we've read it before. 
It's not that we're trying to uncover something new or to be inventors or any of those things. It's we want to see what's actually in the text and drawing that out. And so, again, we're going to be using unfamiliar language at times to help us pop out and see these concepts bigger and understand them more from, from an ancient Eastern perspective than from the modern Western perspective that we all live in and breathe and, and see all the time. So that's, that's a little bit about Ephesians, and I, uh, I'm really excited for next week. We're going to get into more about what it means to be chosen and foreordained and what, how all that works with the, tol- the whole biblical story from the beginning with Adam and Eve all the way through Jesus. How, how does this language get used elsewhere in Paul, and what does it mean for our lives? And so that's where we're going to begin next week, but let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you uh, commissioned ministers like Paul, that you um, encouraged him and helped him with helpers like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, that you uh, built up and raised up churches that were so strong and vibrant in the first century and that could stand the test of time, Father, that you, um, that you help them to grow and help them to survive all the different persecutions that they faced, and, and that we can read about their lives and their struggles to this day, and that that can encourage us and help us see your truth in Jesus. And so we, just, we pray this morning for an apocalypse. We pray for the revelation that you have um, given to us through Jesus, for that being fresh and new for us, whether we're hearing it for the first time, whether we're hearing it for the thousandth time, Father, that it would continue to challenge us that, um, that seeing your Son in the pages of Scripture would challenge us and encourage us and motivate us more and more each and every day. So, Father, we're so thankful for all that you've done for us through Jesus, your Son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.